So last week, we spoke about approaching God with confidence. Amen? And um, he gave us several, several reasons why we can do that. Jesus was the perfect one. Jesus was the perfect lamb, uh, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest, the great high priest. And so with that and through Jesus Christ, we can now approach the throne room of God with confidence and we can do it boldly. Amen. And we know that God wants a relationship with us. God hears us. God hears our prayers and God cares for us. And he's able to do what he says he would do. He's able to do that. He's more than able to meet our needs. More than able to meet our needs. And so with that, we can have confidence. We can have the full assurance uh, in his words and what he has put before us in the Holy Scriptures. Amen? So we now, through Christ, can approach God confidently. And today we're going to be back in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 8. And I want to look at the old law versus the new covenant. And we're going to see that this new covenant is going to be a better covenant, right? Because of Jesus Christ. And as you recall, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18, the former regulations, which is referring to the law, is set aside because it was weak. It was useless, uh, in a sense. It was imperfect. And for the law modeled uh, nothing perfectly. And now we have a hope, a better hope, that's being introduced to us. And through that better hope, we draw near to God. But he, Jesus, became that priest, became that high priest with an oath. And because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And that's in uh, Hebrews chapter 17. And so if you would stand with me this morning as we read God's word, I know you just got nice and comfortable, but um, I'm going to uncomfortable you, make you uncomfortable one more time, and then you can sit down. Uh, in honor of God's word, we're going to read this passage in Hebrews chapter 8. And the section here is called the high priest of a new covenant the high priest of a new covenant. Each week, by the way, the handouts are in the back. If you're not greeted by an usher and they don't give you one, make sure you find one for yourself. Uh, we're, we're still working out on these, these ways to make sure it's running smoothly. And I want you to have, we have the PowerPoint, we have technology, we have uh, the handout to be used. Uh, or you bring a book and you take notes. In Hebrews chapter 8, the high priest of a new covenant. Reading, starting at verse 1 and following, the point of what we are saying is this. We do now. Now we have a, such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Uh, and if you recall for a moment that the Leviticus system or, or, or priesthood was a temporary one and it, and it was done imperfectly. Uh, in fact, we no longer call each other priests, but pastor and, and teacher because we no longer go about sacrificing animals. And in doing so, if we did, 
then this would point us back to the system before Christ's work was done and completed on the cross. In fact, the Jews are looking for that Messiah still to come and enforce the laws of Moses, or they're still looking for him at that time specifically to be the uh, executive of the Mosaic system. And it's that system that was given that we have the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, right? But in Christ and through Christ and what he did, he came to displace it. He came to change it up because it was weak, because it was imperfect and lacking. And with his death, with his death and resurrection, he brings in this new covenant. He brings in this better way. He brings in this, this new, uh, better system. And so we also see that this idea of better is, all, is running through the book of Hebrews, like a better covenant, a better hope, a better possession, a better country, a better resurrection, and so on. And then we're going to see here a better sanctuary. So we're running through this book of, of Hebrews. Uh, the tabernacle is set up by the Lord, not by man. And that tabernacle uh, would be found in heaven, indicating that this system on earth, or the tabernacle on earth, or the system on earth, is actually imperfect, archaic, if you would, and ending. In verse 3, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They served at a sanctuary. That is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. And this is why Moses warned when he was about to build this tabernacle on earth. See to it that you make it everything according to the pattern shown on the mountain. Verse 6, but the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one and is founded on a better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. And so we see here in verse 8 is actually taken from Jeremiah 31, 31, for those who might be taking notes. And verse 8 says, But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declared the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to uh, lead them out of uh, Egypt like little children, taking them by the hand and leading them on a certain way. I took them by the hand because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned them away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We also know that in the book of John, chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit that is going to guide and lead people to truth. And as we become leaders and believers and followers of Christ and teachers of Christ, we're commanded to go make disciples, and we continue to do that part. And we continue to call, be called to make disciples, to be kingdom builders and building this process as we do life, as we live. Verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more by calling this covenant new. By doing this, he makes 
He made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Let's pray. Grant us understanding, O Lord, as we study your words and look to this new covenant. Help us, God, to understand, illuminate our minds, open up our eyes, and to hear you, to hear what you have to say to us this morning, God. Reveal truth to us, Lord God. Guide us and lead us in your ways, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five as you smile. We need more smiles and high fives, and just enjoy as you're seated today. All right, praise God, praise God. What a bunch of happy people today. <laughs> Praise God. So this is an old, this is the old covenant. This old covenant is now obsolete. We see the scripture saying that it's aging and it's uh, imperfect. And since Christ's death and resurrection, this sacrificial uh, process uh, through animals and the killing of animals and the bloodshed of animals is uh, now obsolete. And yet time after time after time, we're dragged back in to what we see is like legalism and law instead of freedom and grace. We do that very often to ourselves, dragging ourselves in uh, legalistic and law and, and bondage and all these things, yet God wants to free us and, and, and show us grace. But we are not to use our freedom and our grace to sin, and that becomes another issue that we have to contend with church because so often... Uh, when children are given too much freedom, when children are just being able to do whatever they want, they're given too much grace, uh, we find that they get themselves into trouble. I don't know about you, but I believe that to be true. And so we need a balance in life. We cannot use our freedom as adults and even as children to sin. The law points. The law teaches. The law is revealing the Messiah, points us to the Messiah to Christ and to a better way. And before I go further, I just want to make a comment on verses 3 and 5 about the tabernacle and the sanctuary. It says, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If, if he was on earth, he would not be the priest, for there are already men who offer gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy. Maybe you want to underline that word. It's a copy. It's a shadow of what is in heaven. And that's why Moses was warned to build the tabernacle, to see that you make it according to the patterns uh, that was shown on the, on the mountain. So, so it's, a, it's a copy of what is in heaven. And so we see that this sanctuary on earth is a shadow of things that are going to come. In the book of Exodus... We see that God is going to great details, Exodus 25 and, and following several chapters afterward, about the tabernacle and about the sanctuary. And so what you'll see is that these words, sanctuary, these words, and so let me suggest that the tabernacle is this physical dwelling. It's like a tent or a building. And we see dimensions here listed in Exodus chapter 26. And we're not going to go there and read it, but I'll just say this. It was 50 cubits wide and 100 cubits long, which was about 75 feet by 150 feet. But then there's the sanctuary, and the sanctuary is a sacred place. It's a holy place, right? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's more uh, than, um, it can be more than a tabernacle. Right? The tabernacle uh, is a building, 
A tabernacle could be this tent. So a tabernacle, in, in this case, is a sanctuary. But a sanctuary is not necessarily a tabernacle. All right? It's not just a play of words. And then there's a difference between the temple and the tabernacle. And the temple was more of a permanent building, whereas the tabernacle was more of a temporary tent when they were moving. But these words kind of get uh, interchanged, and the tabernacle, in the tabernacle, the smoke came down, and the Lord's presence was there, and then it would lift, and then they would, they would find, follow him, and then they would pack up, and they would move everything, and then they would follow. So now this building, we're not calling this a, a tabernacle, we call it a church. And this room specifically most of us refer to it as a sanctuary, and it should be respected. A holy place where God dwells. We believe God dwells here. And um, we, it's set apart for him, and we welcome him in this place. And in the upper room, we call that room up there, the upper room, where we pray. And we meet with God, and we welcome him in this place. We meet with God in the sanctuary. And so we can meet with God really anywhere uh, uh, specifically he, he can be anywhere um, and so it can be in your house it can be in your car and we can call those places a sanctuary you can have a prayer closet and you can call that your sanctuary uh, in this room here we call it the sanctuary and out there maybe it can be a little bit more crazy at times but in here, we, we, we try to respect this place and respect this room. Um, but the idea is really tabernacle, temple, church, sanctuary. And the sanctuary is where, we, where, where we're meeting with God and we're welcoming God. And, and it was a special place. So the tabernacle and the sanctuary a lot of times will be considered uh, the same thing. And within the tabernacle, we see that there's the holy place. And then there's the holy, most holy place. And we see that in scriptures. And there was a veil or a curtain that we know that separated the two. And once a year, the high priest would come in to the most holy place and to represent the people. And he must bring the, the blood of the atoning sacrifice, right? Um, but why are we saying this? Why is this important? Why do we need to understand the Old Testament? Why are these... Why are you getting into all these details about a veil and two rooms and all these things? Uh, because something significant happened when that veil was torn. And so if we were able to now approach God differently, uh, this is the work on the cross takes place and the veil is, is, is broken. And the veil stopped man from approaching God and they had to do it a certain way, right? And the veil is broken. And so we see this holy place and the holy of holies is torn. Christ is resurrected and he's alive and it's torn. And so now we can approach God confidently and with boldness and confidence. right? And before they had all these mechanical things that they had to do and all these traditions and all these formulations of how to do it and they put a, a, a rope around the guy's the priest's leg or however they did it because bing, 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 bell, bell, bell. And what happens is if you don't hear it anymore, he was dead because he went before God wrongly and he was killed and they would drag him out next. And who wants to be the next guy to go in there after the guy's slain? It's kind of crazy. This is the way it was done. And so this is a foreshadow. 
This is a foreshadow of what we're going to have in heaven. There, 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 Christ torn and the veil in, in half. No longer do we have to follow these practices and these procedures. And in heaven, we're going to have a sanctuary because that is where God is going to dwell. In Revelation 21, verses 22 to 23, it suggests that there's no tabernacle uh, or temple in heaven because God's light is everywhere. As, as we studied Revelation, our last series, uh, we studied Revelation, and, and Brother Bruce did an amazing job with that. In verse 22 of, of Revelation, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, and the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is the lamp. God replaced the old. God replaced the old law with this new covenant. So let's look at some of these uh, changes and compare them to the old. But you have to have the Old Testament in your mind to understand these changes. You have to understand what's going on in the tabernacle and what the sanctuary is and what the veil is and, a, and, a, and, a, and the priest came in and was a go-between. You don't have to come to me to go to God. You have that right. You have that access, right? But God still wants things to be done uh, orderly. God still wants things done to be done properly. And that's why when you come in the church and go through the church, we ask that things are done a certain way. But you have the right to do things outside the church and go another way. You have that right. But inside the church and doing things orderly, he, he tells us what to do. So we have, we have this old way, this old law. Now we have this new covenant. So I have down here six new covenant changes. So we now have, uh, number one, a superior covenant versus an inferior law. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 of, of chapter 8. We're staying in chapter 8. Uh, Hebrews 6 through 9. But the ministry Jesus received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator uh, is superior to the one and is founded on better promises. For there has been nothing wrong with that... F- if there has been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is come and declare the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. Okay? So the New Testament believers are seeing this fulfillment through Jeremiah's uh, words in Jeremiah 31, 31. And this new covenant is now instituted through Jesus Christ to all who repent, to all who believe in him. But Jeremiah's words are not being fully uh, completed, and they won't be until the last days take place. And so that's being, that will take place during the, the tribulation when uh, Israel returns to the Messiah and to the Savior. A new covenant is going to be made between both, it says, the house of Israel and through the house of Judah, through Christ and the resurrection. And we see a pouring out of his spirit on his followers. We see that taking place. And that's what we see, that the spirit came down and the people were moved. But this covenant is going to go beyond the Jews. It's going to go, on, go beyond the nation of Israel, not just for the Jews, but this is for the Gentiles too. And if we turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 
through 9, and then 26 through 29. Let me read that. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Understand. In other words, pay attention. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So now there's neither Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So I underline the word if in verse 29, if, because all of you might not belong to Christ. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know. For many here today, probably most of you here today, you're probably saved and set free. Honestly, I don't know. And the way to tell and the way to understand and the way to know is by your fruit, by your life, by your testimony, by your love. And as you know, Wednesday nights we're studying the 21 biblical laws of leadership. And much of that information is taken from John Maxwell's book on leadership. Again, this, this week we had a great class. I believe it was a great class. We finished this one principle called the law of the lid. We studied uh, David and Saul. We studied Jonathan. And so pr- prayerfully consider taking this class with us and learning about men and women of the Bible it's Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in the chapel in the back. We're usually trying to end by 8.30. Last week we learned that talk is cheap and actions speak louder than words. And there's even a higher level that we soar, and that's sacrificing for others. Where you take a step down, where you take a step down so someone else can take a step up. And we were watching Jonathan, who should have been the next king. He takes a step down so that David can take a step up. And Jonathan loved David and, and helped him succeed and helped him become uh, the next king. And so it was not only words that Jonathan had, but actions. But then we see it was even more than actions. We see the sacrifice. He gave up his sword. He gave up his robe. Uh, he gave up many things to save David's life. And so many times people, we say that all they do is talk but no real actions or very little actions. And they don't give their best if they do work. They don't give their best. But others follow through with what they say, and what they say they will do, they do what they will say. And then there's even another level where people are actually another level, a higher level of sacrificing, going further, and sacrificing for others. We saw that played out Sunday in this church where so many of you sacrificed, where so many of you gave, where so many of you worked so hard, where so many of you came from Pennsylvania and New York and New Jersey and the surrounding areas to serve, to help, to be part of this great um, service that we had. And so there's a a fruit that you see, a, a, a love that, 
comes out. And, and that's how we learn, and that's how we can see, and that's how it's called fruit inspector. We, we're able to be fruit inspectors by the testimony, by the love, by the fruit. If, if, that little word, if, if you belong to Christ, if you are a child of the King, if you are part of this church, if, if, such a powerful word right there, if you belong to Christ, then, and I love the, the if then, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And then you can get excited because you're a child of the king and with it, your father God, your daddy God will bless you and take care of you and you'll get the inheritance because you're part of the king. If, if you belong to Christ, if, and so you need to self-examine your heart. Be your own fruit inspector. Inspect your own heart. God, am I living right? Do I have a right testimony? Am I a child of the king? If I belong to Christ. Do I belong to Christ? So we're Abraham's seed if we're in Christ. And then heirs according to the promise. The old covenant is inadequate. We see that it's written on stone. And later it's going to be written on our hearts. We'll read that in a little while. And the Holy Spirit is now dwelling inside us and remaining on us and inside us where before He dwelled upon us. And you would see in the Bibles in the Old, He came upon them in Old. Now through power and grace, He remains in us so that we can walk rightly before God and man. Number two, we now have a voluntary sacrifice versus an involuntary sacrifice sacrifice Hebrews 1 through 3 the point of what we are saying is this and that makes us wake up when we hear this well, what, what's the point it says we do have such a high priest a great high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the Lord not by man every high priest is, is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer well what is it what is it that he's going to offer when you read the word of God does it make you ask these questions it does me what is it that he offered himself himself he was the perfect one he's the perfect lamb He's the perfect sacrifice. He voluntarily gave himself. Uh, the verse says, as a lamb. The lamb had no choice. The lamb was slaughtered and blood shed. The lamb had no choice. The priest would pick and choose the lamb. A lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish. But the lamb obviously had no choice. It did not step up and say, take me. Slaughter me. <laughs> i got to wake you guys up this morning. Should have came in a, a sheep clothes or something like that. I want you to get excited about the Scriptures. What was offered? He offered himself. But the Lamb was, was chosen. But Christ steps up. Christ steps up and says, I'm willing. I'm willing to die. 
I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give myself. I'm willing to give my all. Get that this morning. He took on the pain. He took on the suffering. He endured it all for us. He died so that we could live, praise God. And He's still interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. You've got to understand this. And this should get excited. Sometimes we sit and we're just like, oh, poor me. I get that. But God wants to get you excited. God wants you to wake you up. I don't care if you're young or old. Wake up in the Lord. Get excited in the Lord. Move around in the Lord. Do something different today that you, that you haven't done before in the Lord. Get excited. He offered himself. That should excite you. Praise God. Praise God. I don't want to be the only one excited. I don't want to be the only one excited here. I'm ready to run. I'm ready to jump. I lose some weight. I got a bad back, but another no story. But I'm still ready to go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Get excited for the things of the Lord. Get excited when you come to church. Get excited when you're with your family. I know sometimes they, they get on your nerves. And we might get on each other's nerves. But don't stop that from getting together. Let's love each other in Christ. Let's love each other in the Lord. Amen, church. If the prior sacrifice would have been sufficient, if it would have been sufficient, it would have been stopped, and, and nothing else would have been offered. Uh, Hebrews 10, 3 uh, puts it, but the old sacrifice uh, is an annual reminder for us. So, so reference chapter 10, verse 3, because it's impossible for the, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So Christ voluntarily sacrifices himself for us and he pays the price for us once and for all now we have a special download to the hearts and minds of man versus an insufficient transfer to stone or parchment or through the oral traditions the law was written on stone and then it was transferred to parchment and then passed on through traditions they would just tell family members and family members. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Once saved, we get a new heart. We get a new nature. This is a gift from God, Amen. And we are to love and obey and follow his ways. Uh, before this, we did not have the power to overcome sin. But now we have the power. Now we have the ability to follow the Lord. And this comes from the Holy Spirit who's leading us and guiding us in life. Are we listening? We now should desire to live rightly before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, we... we we need to hold on to these holy standards. And people are so often running around in sin, living in sin, and, and following worldly standards and lifting up worldly standards. And I ask, what's going on in the church? What's going on with the people of God? And I start questioning their loyalty to Christ. Are they even saved? Are they really Christ? Followers, does the Holy Spirit really dwell in, in them and govern their walk? And if so, where's the fruit? 
If so, where's the love? Where's the love in the life? This church needs to be a loving church. Be a fruit inspector. Lift someone up. Don't bring them down. Lift them up. We will know them by their love. We will know them by their fruit. Do we have godly fruit? Are we loving rightly? Are we living godly examples? These laws and ways are written on our heart. People in the most remote places of earth have a sense of right and wrong. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to take someone else's wife. They know it's wrong to take someone else's children. Your hand will be cut off for stealing. You will be killed for doing certain crimes in their village. But over time, and through tradition, they teach, and, 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 and they do things over and over again that are not right, and this hardens their heart, and they know that it's wrong, and they do it again, and they turn their back on God. They don't understand it, but they know something inside them is saying, this is wrong, and they do it anyway. This is wrong, this is not right, and they do it anyway. And then it leads to death and cannibalism and all these other things. Tradition and peer pressure and an unrepented heart. And they remain lost. But then God reaches down. But then the incarnation takes place. And Jesus comes and touches them. And the Holy Spirit leads them. And once what they once craved, they don't crave anymore. The chains and the shackles are broken because now once they're saved, once they're a child of the Lord, what happens? They become a new creature. Amen. A new creation in Christ. And so we see a heart is changed and the people are changed when they turn to Christ. This is a pattern that we should be looking for. This is a pattern that we should be watching for. They should look different. <laughs> Smell different. Appear different. Hallelujah. Amen. Because they are different. Perfect? We're not perfect. Different? Yes. Perfect? No. Four, we, have, we now have an internal and intuitive changes versus external and limited knowledge. Hebrews 10 and 11, I'll focus on verse 11. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to them to the greatest. Once saved, we have direct access to God. And we'll have knowledge and we'll know God more than ever before. And he will dwell in us and, 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 with, you know, and over us and with us and in our area. And, and in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says that the Holy Spirit makes truth known to us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, says He searches the heart and the depth of us, even the deep things of God. We have access through the Holy Spirit to the deep things of God. When you're home complaining and crying that your parents didn't give you the, the car or the gift, or they actually throw out the garbage, relax. Do it. Be obedient. But you know what? When you have some questions about some deep issues, and your parents might not know, 
ask the Holy Spirit to reveal some deep things of God. So before we had external and limited knowledge, now we have internal. It's an inner work. We live so often by the outer man. We need to live by the inner man, the inner spirit. We now have an internal and intuitive knowledge. God dwells in us and reveals in us and leads us and points us to all truth, to God's love. Get that this morning. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to God's love. You don't feel loved this morning? Turn to God. You're lacking this morning? Turn to God. You're hurting this morning? Turn to God. Hallelujah. We now have complete forgiveness versus incomplete forgiveness. Hebrews 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The old covenant was incomplete. It was an incomplete system. And over and over again, these sacrifices needed to be done. Over and over again, they had to be done. This is an old system, an archaic system, because it was imperfect. But we see what Christ has done, the shed blood on the cross, the sacrifice on the cross, him stepping up voluntarily and giving his life. What happened on the cross is now finished. It's complete. We are forgiven but that doesn't mean we are repenting, right? There still must be repentance. There still must be a turning away from sin. We often think that since the work on the cross is done and it's finished, then we can do whatever we want. We can live as we feel like it and do what we want. Whatever we want, that's wrong teaching, false teaching, and eh, do over. And while there's life and breath, take your do-over. It's wrong. Get your act together. But you can't get your act together first. Come to God, and he'll help you get that act together. We want to clean ourselves up first. It doesn't work that way. We need to know and understand that the work is finished, but there must be repentance. There must be sorrowfulness in our hearts that we want to go to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sins. God is holy. And Leviticus, and I believe it's First Peter, both of them say, be holy, for I am holy. So when you get people who are just running around doing whatever they feel like it, because that's what they feel like it, and that's the world's standards, they're wrong. Thank you for that one amen. They're wrong. And you can rely on it that they're wrong. Because we are to be holy, for he is holy. That says the way you live is important. But the way you live, right, is not the key to salvation initially, right? So we come as we are. We come broken. And when, so when we start having a great harvest, you might not like the people that come in through these doors. You might not like the way they look. You might not like the way they smell. They might not be one of you and your crew. Whatever that means to you. It means so many things, different things to me growing up in Brooklyn. My boys, my crew. What's up, yo? I know what that means. I played around in the hood with a hood. I know what that all means. Come see me afterwards. We're recorded. I can't tell you. I, my last name's Gambino. Whatever that means, I don't know. <laughs> no, nah, just kidding. No, I'm really, I'm really not kidding. That was a, that was a, 
No, we're not even going to go there. And finally, number six. Let's stay focused, Anthony. Hallelujah. We now have the appearance of a new covenant versus the disappearance of an old one. Hebrews 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging is going to disappear.